the decisions to build these large ships, uh, and I'm talking the, the 12, 14, 18, 20, came in response to bunker fuel in excess of $100 per barrel. So right off the bat, the current situation is far from that. You have bunker today averaging, I think right now in the of oil, certainly in the, in the, in the mid-50s right now. So a coping mechanism, but fuel costs have actually moderated significantly downward. Poses a question, what does that mean for the shipping industry and economics of these large ships? Larger ships were also a coping mechanism in response to everything we all know in this room. Uh, historic, uncompensatory financial returns in the shipping industry, looking for scale, economics, driving slot costs up down. Uh, certainly competitive forces, carriers tend to chase uh, market share, uh, and that has sort of been a propelling influence in driving freight rates uh, down. Uh, all the alliance and vessel sharing strategies, this is when the, the, the ocean carriers come together, much like code sharing in the airline in, in industry, is another coping mechanism in response to, frankly, uh, the fact that the shipping industry, certainly the container industry, has been n not really a financial success uh, story. You know, coupled with all of these sort of macroeconomic factors has also been uh, advances in, in hull design and propulsion systems. Uh, these newer ships uh, certainly are, are more efficient. They're burning less uh, fuel. Uh, interestingly enough, they're actually being uh, deployed at, at lower speeds just as a function to, to um, you know, save, save fuel costs. So it's, it's a rather interesting thing right now that even though you have uh, shipping companies that have obviously spent hundreds of millions and billions in, in, in larger ships to drive certain efficiencies, I would contend that uh, at today's fuel costs uh, that carriers who actually didn't go that direction uh, the gap between their underlying slot cost economics really aren't that much uh, higher on these large ships. So this is going to be a very interesting thing to see how it, it plays out. I'm not making, a, um, I'm, I'm not making a, uh, an observation to say that the large ships are going to disappear. Quite the contrary. They're here. They will continue to be here. They will continue to grow. But I would just note that as an observation, the economic factors that propelled those large ships to be here have, in fact, nothing to do with global trade growth, growth in trade in the United States. It was all built on a series of coping mechanisms for broader macroeconomic issues in the, the, the shipping industry. And this, I think this is just something that's just part of the history of the shipping uh, industry, timing decisions to actual market events. Uh, I'm about close to out of time, but I do, I do want to you know, give you a, a visibility to the, um, the, the, the players that dominate this. Uh, I would note right off the bat that with only a couple of exceptions, this is, you know, the Americans have disappeared. Uh, 
not that that necessarily means a, a whole lot, but from a Port Authority perspective, you know, all of our major customers, they're not headquartered in the United States. Asset decisions, investment decisions aren't made in the United States. Uh, we're spending uh, more time on the road. Uh, my boss, the director of the, of the port, actually just came back from uh, Europe last week. Uh, we'll be in Asia uh, ne next week. I would also say another kind of interesting observation. Uh, ten years ago, if you were to say who would have been the largest global shipping companies in the world, I think everyone in the room would always raise their hand and say it's going to be Maersk Lines. Uh, and that has continued to be the case. But no one would have said uh, MSC, Mediterranean Shipping Company, and very few would have said uh, Marseille-based CMA uh, CGM. Uh, the dominant carriers in the global container shipping industry have a decidedly uh, European uh, bent to them. Uh, the Chinese, uh, led by Costco, um, uh, are uh, responding to this. They've announced a, that they're going to be uh, purchasing Hong Kong-based uh, OCL, Orient Overseas Container Lines. So there's a lot of shifting. Uh, we had a bankruptcy uh, in uh, Korean-based uh, uh, Hanjin. Um, the walk away here is, is that what we're seeing in the global shipping industry is is somewhat analogous to what we saw here in the North America airline uh, industry. Uh, the legacy carriers are uh, getting, getting bigger. There's a huge amount of M&A activity that has already uh, played out, probably a little bit uh, more uh, to go. Smaller players like Yang Ming Line uh, and Zim um, probably don't have the scale to go on it uh, forever uh, on a solo basis. Zim, the Israeli carrier, they're the number six carrier calling the port of New York, New Jersey. Uh, MSC is the largest carrier. Uh, I mentioned before that we completed the harbor deepening uh, project. Uh, really kudos to the Port Authority and the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, we, we finished that project on the front end of, of the curb. Uh, port authorities up and down the coast are still trying to catch up. Civil Works project funded by the Corps. It's, you know, you, you run into pretty much every congressional uh, issue uh, known to mankind. And of course, we were really delighted with the, the completion of uh, the Bayonne uh, Bridge. Uh, this was a port, uh, port Authority project. It was actually overseen by our uh, Tunnels and, and Bridges uh, Division. It was a massively interesting civil works project from an engineering um, uh, uh, perspective. And, you know, there's, there's certainly no shortage of things to find criticism uh, with the Port Authority. Uh, but I think in terms of delivering complex infrastructure, uh, this is one area where the Port Authority continues to excel. So uh, thank you very much.